everybody, it's Adam with IHB down in sunny South Florida. I'm here with Carlos, and it's Tuesday, so we have our in-house staff meeting going as well. And we've got some questions for you as part of JC Unplugged. And like everything else, we just get right into it. No Let's, need do it. To, Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's anything you want to talk about. No, okay. we're, we're, um, we're very excited for, uh, to finish uh, 2019 very strong and 2020. Um, we have redone our entire curriculum and we are adding more stuff at a rate that I can't even believe that we're doing. So, super excited about 2020. Awesome. All right, let's go right into the first question. It's you. Uh, in your opinion, uh, dealing with someone who has vertigo, what are some of the things that we can do from a traditional or from a functional perspective? Oh, I've been asked that before. Vertigo, okay. We know there's, there's such a thing. I am not sure if we even know exactly what the mechanism is for vertigo, and is it the same mechanism all the time? In other words, is it, is a, is it a mechanical issue in the middle, uh, in, in the eardrum? Is it uh, a chemical uh, issue, or is it a combination? So all, all we know is that people who suffer from this condition get dizzy, and they get dizzy sometimes, and they can't predict when they're gonna get dizzy. So the question is, what kind of training? Well, it's the kind of training that doesn't make them dizzy. Since you don't know, for example, if laying them down and standing up fast always makes them dizzy, uh, then when you do lay them down, if you do lay them down, make sure they get up slow. So you gotta figure, A, if you can identify the trigger mechanism in the gym, uh, laying down. No, even if they get up slow, laying down from down to up, even slow may trigger it. Then you don't do any supine and prone exercises. If getting uh, up and down fast triggers it, then you get up slower. Um, let's say that high interthoracic and interabdominal pressure, which are followed by intracranial pressure, okay, uh, during heavy lifts, if that triggers it, then you can't lift them heavy. So obviously, you have to find out what the trigger is, if you can identify the trigger and stay away from that in the gym. And that's about all you can do. You know, some people with vertigo can go heavy, some people with vertigo can lay down, some people with vertigo can't lay down. So it's hard to say one thing because the, the, uh, the mechanism by which vertigo works can be different from different people. So you've got to identify it and try to stay away from it in the gym. I'm sorry I can't give you a better answer than that. Yeah, I, think, I think we also have to take into consideration the trigger, alternating pressing, alternating rolling. That can kind of mess with the vestibular system a little bit, so that could be a trigger. No, who knows what the trigger is? Yeah, so if, if, if visual, and I know that, that vertigo can be stimulated visually because we can all get dizzy just by visual. All right, you can sit at a, at a universal ride that's not moving, and the 3D, uh, the 3D video in front of you is so real that that it can just make you dizzy just by by um, uh, by stimulating the vestibular system through the through the ocular system. You know, so so this is a good questionnaire coming up that's going to segue into some other things. Um, People that have back injuries that come to us, do we avoid that training area altogether or do we let the doctor and meds intervene uh, for some of the back pain? Well, we, we get different different people from, from at different stages. We get some people that have sciatica. Why do I have sciatica? I don't know, I just have sciatica. And we can treat those. Uh, we have people coming from the doctor where they, they thought they needed surgery and, for example, Dr. Cameron and Dr. Feldman, are, I love those guys because surgery is the last remedy for them. So we're not cutting you unless you go through Carlos first. And there's been, I think, two people in the last four or five years that we have not been able to help. One needed a nerve ablation, and I have to follow up with that, and the other one needed surgery. So it, it was just bad. Um, 
So it depends. It depends on where they're coming. Sometimes they come to us and they haven't even seen a doctor. Sciatica, my back is bothering me. Sometimes they've seen a doctor, go do therapy. They've done therapy, hasn't worked, then they come here. Sometimes they come from doctors with some medication, like the cases that we get from South America, with Dr. Cantor, the insurance cases we get. Those people come fully loaded and we have to deal with them uh, a little bit more gingerly than the, than the other time. So it depends at what phase they come, what the symptoms are, and where they're at in their treatment. Right. I think it's a good time just to throw a shameless plug out there. Uh, we have IHPNoBackPain.com that uh, we're going to be establishing. So if you guys want to get more information about how we deal with some of our back patients that we see here, that website's going to be coming to you shortly. Uh, okay, next question. And that's one of the projects that I'm excited about. And I never got into this business to deal with back pain. Never, never. It's just that since we became so good at core training and, and learning how to train the core from very, very easy, and it was never people with back pain, it was old people that were 86, that were 80, so we had to find really light progressions, and of course we trained with the athletes. So we had to create these little progressions, not because of back pain, just because of the populations we were seeing, you know? The ability, some have very low ability. Well, what's back pain? You have very low ability. So when we moved those progressions for the, from the elderly that were not fully functional, to the back pain, it fit like a glove. So now we're known as the back pain people here in, in Boca and in South Florida. So for you personal trainers, sometimes you get an area of expertise that you didn't even think. You gotta, you gotta blow it up, you gotta blow it up. How do you get, how do you deal with people that have that mental block? It's gonna hurt, I can't do it. What do you, how do you, how do you work with them? Uh, psychologically to help them get over those mental barriers. I come I come through side window I, and I know the type because I'm used to dealing with animals and I've had horses and the best example that I can give you is when a horse doesn't want to come in the trailer, he doesn't want to come in the trailer because he's he's um, he's got this preconceived notion that this trail leads to the trainer. I mean to the trailer, right? So he's not going in a straight line to that trailer no matter what. So you gotta divert them. So the way you do that is you take a horse and you circle them around and you bring them in the trailer that way. So before they know it, they're coming off the land. So if somebody says, I don't want to squat because it's going to hurt, great. Then I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll bridge them. I'll uh, RDL them. I'll 45 degree bench them. And before you know it, I, you know, I'll, I'll squat them with, a, with, a, with a, uh, a push with a medicine ball. I'll do a ball squat and I'll see if, if they can give me some kind of squatting without pain. So first, no squatting. I'll do hip-hinging things. And then try to say, hey, you know that RDL? You know, that's pretty much like a squat. Why don't you give me a little really squat? And I'll come in the side door that way. Normally, they don't want to do it because they, they're not good at it. They're not good at it because they've never trained it. They've never trained it, so their muscles are weak. So what I do is I strengthen those muscles with other exercises, and then give them little progressions that they can taste, and then they go, oh, that wasn't difficult. Boom, that's the way I make it. See what we got next. See, so owning a horse helps. <laughs> All personal trainers buy a horse. Have it for about six months and then get rid of it. Um, training um, foot speed and some reaction time for your combat athletes, uh, you know, wrestlers and fighters. How do, you, how do you go about it? Speed work, reaction times. I think I think speed work is greatly misunderstood. Why? And, and I came up on, uh, during the era of Randy Smythe, uh, the, when SAQ, Speed Agility Quickness, SAQ was first coined in the 80s, was by Randy Smythe, he had a camp up in Oregon. 
And he's the one that uh, popularized the agility ladder, the side strike, the trampoline, all of the track and field stuff, the medicine ball throws. He's the first guy that came up with self-made videos and was selling them for 30, 40 bucks for a 15 minute video because nobody had that. So that's where I come from. And of course, boom, you know, an agility ladder becomes two agility ladders. Two agility ladders become four agility ladders. And now you have a zigzag the size of a football field and now two or three steps turn into like La Comparsa. You know, they got the merengue, they got the salsa, they got the cumbia. And they're doing a bunch of crap on the agility ladder. And now they're doing it in sand. It's like, really? Why don't we do it in quicksand? That's even better. You know, that'll slow it down even more. Look, guys, a ladder or anything repetitive is good to teach a 13, 14, 11-year-old how to do the step. But it's not doing the step better where it's at. You learn the step over a 10-yard take, then you speed up the step during the 5-yard ladder, and then you take half of that, and you do two or three steps, and then you react. And eventually, it just becomes reaction, practice. You don't get good with the agility ladder. You get good with what the agility ladder is supposed to develop, which is running good patterns, defending us, uh, sparring, moving, being in the right place at the right time. That's what agility is supposed to do. So we measure the prowess or the improvement of agility by how fast you're doing and what you can do on, your, on the agility ladder. And we end up making agility ladder experts that don't move any better on the basketball court. Specificity, all right? Get the agility ladder up to a point. And after that, you gotta let it go because now you're just getting better at the agility ladder and it's not transferring to basketball, soccer, and, and, and fight. So that's my approach. My approach is teach a skill that allows you to practice speed. Okay, so first you gotta do the tank so you can learn the skill because the skill is the tool that's gonna teach you speed. It's not speed in baseball, it's just speed. Okay, then when you learn the speed, then you gotta shorten it and make it look like baseball, make it look like soccer, and then shorten it more and then practice soccer. It's practicing soccer where you're gonna get better at soccer. So you gotta use these things as a tool and kind of get it, use it, explore speed, and then transfer the speed over to the soccer field or basketball court. I think sometimes with agility ladder drills where we miss the mark is that the agility drills are being done for, they're being used for to train the athlete who is involved in a sport that has a defender. And then, so you practice all this agility, but then the agility is being done without a defender on them. So once you go out to the field and now you have a defender, the agility kind of takes, takes a different shape now. Yeah. Now you have reaction time that you have to build in. But, right, but it's not necessarily the defender. It could be anything. For example, right. uh, a shortstop. You want a fast move, so if you see the ball, you can react to the ball. There's no defender, there's nothing there. Can the agility ladder be used a little bit for that situation? Minimal, but I would say yes. But it's going to be a very small portion. Because eventually, you've got to get this guy looking at a ball coming really quick and be able to know exactly. Returning serve on tennis. That kind of stuff. Figuring out where that, where that low ball is going to go to next. Is it going to go deep to the corner or are they going to drop it in front of you because you're at midcourt? So that is where you get good at tennis. That is where you get good at baseball. It's not in the speed development. So we get lost in the speed development without thinking, but why am I getting faster to begin with? Also, I can do more of this. It's the quality practice that, that makes an athlete better. It's not the lifting, and it's not the training. Sorry, it's the genetics. 
So you get speed, and then you transfer the speed over to the uh, target activity quickly.
okay, get up in the best shape possible. We've had that with heart, open heart surgery. We've had that recommendation with 38 degree scoliosis. We've had that with hip replacements and knee replacements. So every single time that we've had somebody go into surgery, surgeon has always said the same thing. Get up in the best shape possible for the surgery. So we periodize them just like if they were for power animals, just like if they were going to be, uh, you know, getting ready for a fight. We can do that for so six weeks, seven weeks. Exactly, exactly. All right, I think we got one more question here. I think you'll like this one. What can people expect from the new personal training certification that we're doing here next weekend? Um, what they can expect is to have a different certification. They're going to have a different experience. They don't know. We, are, you know, it's always easy to say they're going to. This is different. Totally different. You know, it's like everything. Totally different. You know, I don't know if you guys are mad or or what. But when I was a PC guy, I used to say, "Get a Mac." Like, and I didn't really care. And to this day, I don't care. I just want to compete, right? And they said, get a Mac. And I go, why? They said, because it's easier. It integrates better with everything. I didn't know what the hell that meant. But the first day that I got a Mac, and I had an iPhone, and you plug them together, and they like talk to each other, connect, back up, transfer, and you go, I get it. I, I understand what they meant by integrate, that it's easier. Okay? So not that I'm trying to send you to Mac. I don't really care what you use, because I don't care what I use. But like that, our, our training for our trainers, okay, is for professional personal training career, for a professional personal training career. We just had it. You can ask these guys that are behind the camera if you ever come in here, hey, what are the what are the uh, meetings like? And they'll tell you. I run IHP just like I run my family, you know? And if you want to succeed in personal training, you can't half-ass it. The problem is that certifications and four-year degree do not deal with personal with the personal training career. They deal with the physiological aspect of personal training, which is this much of the career. This much. So you spend four years, you spend two years learning the basics, humanities, social science, English, stuff, that kind of stuff. And then you go into introductory to exercise science, advanced exercise physiology, biomechanics, that, 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 that. that. And you don't use egg, not one bit of that here. So you go two years learning the science behind the physiology of exercise, which you do not use here. So when people come out of four-year degrees and they're certified by the NSCA and ASIP and ASM and all the great certifications that we have out there, they can't train. They can't train. They can't talk to clients. You ask them to tour? We gotta train them to tour. We gotta train them to answer the phone. We gotta train them how to talk. We gotta train them where to go, what to say at a at a grocery store. Excuse me, what's that? When somebody asks you, what's that? It's round one. Ding! Bite down on your mouthpiece because it's it's the opportunity to explain what you do and why they should be in your gym. So our certifications deal with that. Our certifications deal with the career of personal training, how to market, how to use the assessment. We don't do the functional movement screen. It may be a great assessment, but it doesn't teach you how to use that to close a sale. You know, and, and I'll say that proudly. It's not that I'm closing the sale. It doesn't teach you how to use that to convince and inspire somebody to use your services. Our assessment program is centered around, let me explain this to you, this to you, this to you, and this to you. And let me, let me let 
that you're feeling. So when somebody feels slow on one leg during a single leg assessment, and they smile because they, you know, oh, I didn't know it was that weak. There it is. Oh, and your back hurts. Oh, and when you want to serve better in tennis. Oh, and you want better changes of direction. Oh, you want more vertical jump. You want more speed. How are you going to do it like that? If you want to go from here to Orlando, you have a flat tire. It doesn't take a genius that something's got to get fixed for. There's your flat tire. And we're going to fix it doing this, 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 and this. So you use your assessment. Your assessment is not to figure out a biomechanical disadvantage that the person has. Your assessment is to have somebody experience and be convinced that they have a problem and that you have a solution. And that's the approach that our certifications take. Everything we do is so you can be a more successful personal trainer. So you don't have to be a personal trainer that has a bartending job on the side because you can't make money as a personal trainer. That's absolute BS. And you don't know how many personal trainers we've had in here, okay, that have left for UPS, Federal Express, uh, computer companies. You name it, they left because they couldn't make money as personal trainers. Loving personal trainers. And they all said, man, if I, could make money, if I could make that money, I'd stay. But I can't. I said, no, yes, you can. Because we've got people in this room that have done it. And you have me, and you have my son that never went to college and is not certified. And Rio will do back rehab, hold mitts, train a basketball player, train a golfer who's never played golf in his life. Why? Because he knows the career of personal training. He can talk to people trains enough to be able to train everybody. So that's what you can expect from our certification. That's the short, the short answer to that. So if, that, if Carlos has come across a little, a little bit passionate about that question, it's because he is. I can tell you, being here for a very, very long time, how long? Going on 15 years. And I can tell you unequivocally that this is about as passionate about a certification as I have seen him in that period of time. So if you want to check it out, IHP University. Um, want to take opportunity to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and hope you enjoy your time with your family. We'll see you soon.